You're listening to The Conversations Podcast, brought to you by Cypress Creek Church. Welcome to The Conversations Podcast. I'm Taylor, today joined by two special guests. First, we have lead pastor Jose Avaroa. Jose, thanks for being here. Yep, good to be here as always. And also, we're joined today by the one, the only, Mary Dunn. Mary, thanks for being on the podcast. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, we are in the midst of a summer speaking series called His Story, God's Faithfulness. This week, Jose, you talked on the desert. And so, I just thought I kind of love to open it up every week by talking about kind of hearing your thoughts as you prepared for this message, kind of what's the relevance in spite of just this whole, not only the season we're in right now, but as well as just the series as a whole. Well, in looking at God's faithfulness, we think, I mean, you would think at this point in the story, the people of God have come out of Israel, come out of Egypt, out of slavery, and you would think they'd be fist pumping in the air saying, yay, God, we love you, Lord, we're going to do everything that you're telling us. Uh, keep in mind, they don't have the commandments yet, so they don't have a lot to follow. They're following God, uh, but they don't have all these rules and regulations. This comes in the desert, and here is really where we are uh, face-to-face with the very core of our human nature, which really is our rebellion, but zooming in, reading through this narrative, mostly in Exodus and Numbers, uh, I was struck by how much complaining there is (laughs) with the people of God. Despite everything that God's done, how in the world do they turn to complaining? And then, (laughs) it didn't take me long, or I didn't have to do much thinking to realize there's a lot of complaining going on right now in our Mm. own world. I mean, more Mm. than... More than perhaps any other time, definitely in my lifetime, and it, it's just going, it, it's gone too far. So that's kind of where the the background. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I think we start there just with this idea of complaining and grumbling. So uh, Jose, as well as Mary too, kind of where do y'all think this comes from? Where does complaining, where does grumbling kind of, where does that come from within ourselves? Well, I... Love the story about Jose, you know, saying from the pulpit about having four children, and so he knew a lot about the topic. Um, so, That's right. <laughs> so I think in in children, and I've had a couple of my own, and now six grandchildren. I I too am experienced somewhat in this, and in children, um, the complaining sometimes comes from discontent, but they don't necessarily have the vocabulary to tell us exactly what the discontent is. And as parents, we go through the list. Do you want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? No. Do you want turkey and cheese? No. Do you want to take a nap? No. What do you want to do? I don't know. I mean, you know, so... As are a you, do you have a camera and are you like <laughs> in my living room every day? Yes. So as adults, hopefully we, we gain our vocabulary. And so our, our grumbling and complaining takes on a little bit more in-depth communication, but it comes from the same place. And that is that we're discontent mm-hmm. and we're discontent or uncomfortable where we are. And so we begin to complain about that. And there, I believe that there is a piece of discontent or grumbling or complaining that is fear-based. Mm-hmm. And um, I think looking at the Israelites, Moses had gone up to the mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't see in scripture where he looked over his shoulder and said, oh, by the way, I'm going to be gone 40 days, so hang tight. Right. Um, and he goes away for a long period of time 
these people had, like you said, just come out of slavery. They were on their way to the promised land. And we have this big break where there's discomfort and discontent. Mm -hmm. And so because there were also so many of them, we also talk about how kind of this mob mentality where they said, hey, somebody could have said, hey, you know, we weren't sitting around doing this Mm -hmm. three weeks ago. We were, we weren't, you know, eating our rations. We had three meals a day or, you know, whatever the case. And all of a sudden, the grumbling grows. And, and I see that in our own human nature. If you get three or more people together, you can start a real, uh, you know, volcano of grumbling and complaining because we pile on. Yeah. And it, it appears as though that could have been part of the issue here with the Israelites. I love that you were talking about that mom mentality because we do long for connection. As humans, we want to hang out. There's three of us in this room. It's much more fun talking about this with the three of us than maybe individually. Taylor, you may disagree because you're the only internal processor <laughs> introvert here. But Mary and I are really happy to be in a, in a room with other people. And sometimes we like to connect about our complaining. And Absolutely. it's, you know, that, that phrase that says misery loves company. company. And mm-hmm. so you want to connect about something. Well, what's something that we can all connect about? It's hot outside. Oh man, the mosquitoes are really bad this year, you know, or right. you talk about all of these things that instead of, you know, working harder to connect about something positive, it doesn't take as much work to connect and grumble about, about negative. That's right. And you know, um, Jose, one of the things that you mentioned was the venter, mm-hmm. you know, all yeah. the different types of complainers. And um, I tend to be there in your square with you as a venter. Um, as an extrovert, many extroverts vent mm-hmm. because they process all that information externally, whereas the introverts process their thoughts, emotions, and feelings right. more internally. So you get a couple venters together, you get a couple extroverts together, and you have a big party until, you know, we continue to spiral downhill and out of control. Mm -hmm. And we don't, as you pointed out, look back on God's faithfulness. Mm -hmm. And it takes that U-turn, I think of the word repent, where we take are grumbling and complaining, and we make a U-turn back to God's and God's Word. And um, so that was something that I looked at this week as where do I fit into this story And what role do I play in the different parts, you know, in Moses's part? You know, I have a little bit of Moses in me. Mm-hmm. I give 137 reasons to God why I'm not the one. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and yeah. and um, until he rolls his eyes and says, fine, take Aaron. You know? <laughs> but then, you know, where am I in the venter role, in the grumbling role? Um, and so I think that those are areas. And, and again, I look back at my own self and say, there's a fear part of it. Mm-hmm. The fear part is that in today's society, like you're talking about with the virus, et cetera, we don't know the outcome. And mm-hmm. so there's a gap between where we are right now, the known, and the unknown. And we want to fill in that gap. As human beings, we want a plan to get from the known to the unknown. Mm, that's so good. And yeah. 
I think that's where the Israelites were, and I think that the, that's where we yeah. are, and wanting to know the known. And that's also where God's faithfulness comes Amen. in. Yeah, he, he is in that gap. He thrives <laughs> he in that is gap, the gap because we are weak <laughs> right. in that gap, and it's not up to us. We, we don't know. We that's have right. zero control. Now that's more than right. ever, that's obvious. Absolutely. He's always been in control, and we think we have control when things are going well, but no, he's always in control. Um, but now we just have to submit to that reality. Absolutely. And I shared with um, you right before we started this little phrase that I um, came across on a cup recently, and um, it was a quote, and it said, contribute more than you criticize. And I thought, what if it said, contribute more than you complain? Mm -hmm. And so what if we, prior to complaining, if we were able to check ourselves and say, you know, what are three possibilities for improving this situation or making this situation more comfortable? Prior to complaining, my responsibility is to find potential solutions. And with some things, the bottom line is I don't have the, I'm not equipped to make a change. Okay because I personally don't have the strength to make the change, let's say this virus. So what can I do? If Mary Dunn cannot talk to somebody, make a recommendation, make a phone call, write a check, you know, I look for all the easy things I can do, right? But if there's none of those available to me, that does not leave me without being able to do something because I can go and submit that to the Lord yeah. and, and surrender that and leave that at the foot of the cross. And then when I leave that virus or that argument or that, you know, negative person that seems to trigger me or whatever the grumbling or complaining or whatever the criticism is, once I leave that at the cross, then I'm not going to walk away empty handed. God never allows his people to walk away empty-handed. He looks down from the cross and says, here's a word. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's great. That's a lot there. That's really good stuff. I, uh, I want to kind of think about kind of the stories that Jose kind of mentioned. There's a lot just biblically as far as looking at the Israelites and, and in the desert, and there's multiple things that happen that um, whether the response to God. So I guess I just want to ask both of y'all kind of what is maybe something that stood out? Maybe what are the things that while the Israelites are in the desert that really resonate with you? Mary, you kind of touched on this a little bit about things that maybe reminded you of where you were in this story. Uh, I think just one off the bat for me, I think about is uh, how quickly the Israelites started attributing these things that God did, whether it's the Red Sea, whether it's, you know, all of these things that God uh, did through and for them. And also now they're attributing it to other idols and they're kind of just using it as a distraction. So that was something that resonated with me and just like an important reminder. But what about for y'all? What are some things that uh, maybe you thought about as you kind of studied and, and looked at mm -hmm. um, the Israelites in this time? 
Well, the importance of optimism. We didn't talk about this um, yesterday, but there are two sides, two ways of looking at things. There's the optimist and, and there's the, some would say, the realist. Uh, and there's a lot of real things that are happening right now that you can quickly choose and say, this is not good. I mean, there's tons of things. Mm-hmm. Personally, I know we are all experiencing in some way, shape or form, some sort of discomfort, dissatisfaction. Um, you know, life has been interrupted mm-hmm. in all of our lives. And then you look outside, you look at the news, you look at uh, what, what other people's state of mind, and, and it doesn't, we don't need to look too, too long to, to, to find something that is not good. But, you know, the story in Numbers where uh, there's 12 people, they all see the same thing. 12 people see the exact same thing. 10 come back seeing things one way, and two, Caleb and Joshua come back seeing it a different way. I want to be like Caleb and Joshua. I want to be someone that sees the same thing as somebody else, and whether they're super negative or, or they turn to grumbling and complaining, I want to be you know, the type of guy that, that looks at things from, from God's perspective mm-hmm. as an optimist. So uh, sometimes that comes easier than others, but but that was a good reminder to continue uh, being an optimist. And I don't know if uh, you guys have had this experience, but sometimes I've said something optimistic and then have someone tell me, you're just being naive. And I think that's the cost sometimes, you know, but that doesn't mean stop being optimistic. Mm-hmm. Stop being um, or stop looking at things, especially whenever it's from God or, oh, or in, a, in a godly perspective. Mm-hmm. So that's something that stuck out to me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I agree with all that. And I tend to see the glass half full. And so I tend to say, well, these are the possibilities that could happen. And I show the positive possibilities. Of course, the other side is some of my training, right? So I'm a coach. And so when I deal with clients, they're bringing me the negative, And it's my job to show another perspective. And I think that's something we can all learn from is that we are wired individually, um, uniquely by God. All of our gifts, our talents, our personalities, and our lenses, all of our experiences, none of us have had the same experience in life. So whenever we look at something or think of something, we see it through our lens. And so my job as a coach is when I talk to clients is to allow them to show me what they're looking at. And then I offer them a view from where I sit, which is a totally different lens. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the ways that us as believers can help one another. Iron sharpen iron type of thing is when one person sees things as a negative or feels negative, that's part of exhortation and is part of encouraging is to say, do you know, I can see how you would see it that way, and I can see how you'd feel that way. But you know, what if we took six steps to the left and looked at it this way? It's not unrealistic. It's just perhaps a different view. And we still have some things that we can do to have that viewpoint move in that direction. So I think um, just looking for opportunities to to offer somebody in an encouraging way, a different, you know, perspective. And I have also been um, accused of being naive, to which I say, when I see a freight train coming, I call it a freight train. 
<laughs> say that from now on. Thanks, Mary. <laughs> That's deep. That's good. <laughs> well, Mary, my next question kind of tags along with that. Uh, Jose, you mentioned yesterday just three different types of complainers and how the one that we should strive towards as far as just, you know, moving it more towards a productive, positive mm. conversation. So, Mary, I'd love to get your kind of thoughts on that as far as how do we, particularly even for those that are more external processors, how do you go about kind of uh, processing with other people and how do you kind of move what would initially be kind of venting and complaining into more of a constructive, whether individually or circumstantially, kind of how do you how do you mm-hmm. make that transition? Well, um, Jose, what did what did you call that? Instrumental complaining. Oh, it wasn't yeah. mine. I got it psychology today. <laughs> oh yeah. So instrumental. Oh, go. Instrumental complaining. Well, twenty five percent is what uh, this study showed. Twenty five percent of our complaining our instrumental complaining. Instrumental. I think that may be high for some and <laughs> and low for a select few. <laughs> well, I'll I'll share a story that um, that. I've told a couple of people. I had a corporate life in which I had several people. Um, I would a couple dozen uh, report to me, and many of them were salespeople, right? And so I always said I had an open door policy, which meant that I'm available. You can come in and talk to me anytime. And so there was about actually, now that I think about it, Jose, 25 percent of the sales force. Um, uh, were what I would call kind of my complainers. And they would do what I call flybys. They would come through and complain about something. Um, not necessarily serious, but, you know, it was complaining. You know, they didn't like what was happening in the break room. It was the coffee. It was the, you know, like you said, the, col- good coffee. Yeah, the colored carpet, somebody being too loud, how slow the engineers were, whatever the case might be. Um, and then up to some serious, you know, complaints as well. And it it proved to be a dumping ground. The bottom line is my desk proved to be a dumping <laughs> ground. And while I believe that my desk was the place where the buck stopped, I thought, I am not creating. I am not teaching people. I am not... Um, uh, helping people become more independent of mm-hmm. me. I was becoming that dumping ground. And, and, and the bottom line is, and this is the note to be written down, we teach people how to treat us. Mm-hmm. We teach people how to treat us by what we allow them to say and do to us or around us. So I finally got to the point that at a sales meeting one time, I said, okay, here's, here's the new rule. You can't come by and you can't do a flyby with a complaint. You can't come by my office, dump it, and leave. So if you want to leave, if you want to complain, and there's plenty, you have to come with the complaint and three possible options to solve it. And together, we'll decide on which option we're going to take first, and we'll go from there. Well, the first thing that happened is the complaints cut in half because they didn't want to do that much work, right? And then the complaints that did come in were, they would say, well, here's the problem, and here are the three possible solutions. I said, which one do you want to try first? And they would say, well, I guess we need to talk to the engineering manager. I was like, great. And all of a sudden, it was back in their lap. They didn't like that either. Yeah. But yeah. we became independent. They became independent, and they became more positive because they knew that they weren't going to be allowed to dump it, that they had to come up with a solution. And as you spoke of, optimism, Mm -hmm. 
Optimism is having to think of a possible solution because once you think of the possible solution, you've just created your own basket of hope. Yeah. Yep. And so that's what we're looking for is the hope of what's down the road. That's right. And I love that you use the word image basket because that's how <laughs> Moses started, right? And Moses' oh, yeah. Yeah. story started in a, a basket. basket. His yeah. mom saved his life and, and sent him down. And, um, and this, that was her hope. That was her hope. Not only that, but that basket was made out of papyrus, which is the same word that was used uh, when Noah was building the ark and its symbolism because God was using the ark and you know, uh, God was using Moses' basket as his vehicle of salvation. That's right. So Moses was a part of God's story of salvation for his people in us today. And so that's where hope has to be. It's not empty hope. Like, I'm just going to choose optimism because that's the right thing to do when it's pouring. And I'll say, no, it's not pouring. It's it's rain or it's it's a sunny day. Well, that's false hope. But if we put our hope in something beyond our circumstance and recognize that, Mm -hmm. man, this is a process and the process ends with salvation, Mm -hmm. um, all of a sudden, now we're now now we have something to hold on to, um, so that's so good. I, you know, what you said about having an open door policy—that's so important. It really is because you were a safe place, Mary, for for all of those people. And yeah, you probably felt like you know, dumpy ground. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but it's pretty cool that they thought that hey, I can go into Mary's office, who is my superior, and I have a safe place. And I think my point in that is saying, as believers, personally as a pastor, I want to be a safe place for people. I don't Absolutely. want to you know, finish this message saying, please don't come ever to me with a complaint or anything. I'm going to call you a sinner, and I'm going to say, <laughs> you know, go home, talk to God, and then come talk to me, although that's a good order, talk to God always first. <laughs> but when you come to somebody that, that loves you and that wants the best for you, I mean, there's got to be that safe space. But then there's the next step, which is so important in being Mm, that instrumental complainer. What am I going to do about this? How am I going to grow? And I think looking at the Israelites, um, this is a story of sanctification. God is trying to sanctify his people, set them apart Mm -hmm. from the rest of the world, saying, this is my treasured possession, so you represent me on earth, Israelites, Mm -hmm. so y'all need to look a little different. And that's why we can't complain as his children. And you know what I also saw is you just said that, Jose, which it just occurred to me that the Israelites were trying to solve the problem themselves. Mm-hmm. They decided, right. let's go ahead and fix this problem. Yep. So they took it upon themselves to fix the problem, and they, and you know, for, there was the golden calf, and uh, and all kinds of issues came out of that. And so sometimes our first thing is we try to put our hands on it, and we try to fix it. And wouldn't it be great if our first, our first salvo would be to determine why, you know, I'm uncomfortable, I don't like this, I don't want to be here. However, if there's not something that I can do that is um, worthy, positive, maybe I should wait on God. Mm. Maybe I... And waiting, you know, is not doing nothing. Maybe I should wait on God to see what He will bring me. And and I think the Israelites maybe took to you know took everything in their own hands and. Yeah, I do that too. 
<laughs> and tried to fix it first. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's, yeah. That's good. Well, so when we talk about this idea of complaining, and I think Jose did a great job yesterday of stressing just, you know, why we shouldn't and even just the psychology behind it. Mm. I think what the question for y'all is what is significant or what is so important about this as Christians and as believers? Like what's at stake here? Why is this something that beyond just, yeah, it'll make me a better person, but like what, what is, why, why go further than that? Why is there more at stake here than, than just kind of being a better person? Well, I mentioned it. I think it was my second point. Uh, (laughs) It dims our light. And right now, we have an opportunity to shine brighter because the darkness is darker. Mm. <laughs> and so we really have a, a, an opportunity to be different and respond to what everybody is facing in some way in a different manner. And personally, it disheartens me when I do this, and it disheartens me when, other, when I see other fellow brothers and sisters fall into the trap of grumbling and complaining because it misrepresents who God is. And and it really dims the light. I mean, the world is saying, well, shouldn't you have your hope set in, in other things? Shouldn't you be the one that, 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 mm. that is okay being a little uncomfortable or not having these things because your faith is, is in, are in things unseen? And so when we turn to grumbling and complaining, um, it, it dims our light. It really dampens our ability to show the world who Jesus is and um, who we're really called to be. I think that's an excellent point. I want to go back for a second and just think about the question that you asked, Taylor, about other stories, you know, mm-hmm. throughout the Bible. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of complainers, um, God's people, yeah. you know, there were a lot of people throughout the Bible who complained, who went to God and complained. I mean, just flat out complained. And he still loved them and he still cared for them and he stood still took care of them. So on the, I would start by saying that we're wired that way. When, right. we're, when we're uncomfortable or we're in a place where we don't want to be, we do that as human beings. Okay, so, so that's how we are. And I think what you're saying, what you said in the message was, if we're going to complain, if we're going to vent, if we're going to do that, which we're wired to do, which is an okay thing, because it moves it from the inside to the outside, right? We do it with another believer. We share that that discomfort with another believer who can edify and encourage us. To do it to those who don't know Jesus, you're absolutely right. right. They say, yeah. why would I want to be a Christian when they look yep. like that? Yep. Okay. So I, I think it's really important that Christians turn to each other in in this time mm-hmm. and that complaining is part of what we do we need to keep it in check for sure and we need to make we need to use the language that allows us to share our discomfort and share our disapproval or our or our grumblings whatever you want to call it in a way that allows somebody to to approach us, okay, which is what you were talking about. I think the other thing is that when other people see us doing that, it dims the hope, Mm -hmm. right? Right. And I've I've often said, you know, Christians have to be careful because we don't need to behave as though we've got 
this whole thing worked out and pulled together, right? I mean, let's remember what Jesus said when he went and got his apostles. He said, follow me. So he didn't tell, you know, John, by the way, follow Matthew. Right. And he didn't tell Bartholomew, follow Luke. He told them all, follow me. And so when we're in a state, and I've said this to people, look, my behavior wasn't what it should have been yesterday. Right. Right. And Christians are called hypocrites. Yeah. We have no choice (laughs) because we are imperfect people following a perfect Savior. Mm -hmm. And what Jesus said was, follow me. And so as we move through these days of discomfort, he's still saying, follow me. And that is, follow me in hope. Mm -hmm. Follow me in in steadfast faith. Mm Follow me by linking arms with other people who know me and love me, mm-hmm. which is our, our Christian community. And it is together that we, we individually attract people, but it is together as a community that we also That's right. attract the, That's right. the unbeliever. Yep. Because they see us sticking together. They see us helping one another. They see us lifting one another up. They see us being able to have a disagreement and say, I need to stand on this, and I disagree with you, but I still love you. And we're still going to go from here to heaven together. Yep. Yep. That's so good. They will know me by the way you love one another. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's good. That's good. Well, as we wrap up today, Jose, any final words in relation to complaining in the desert season? Let's let go of complaining (laughs) and grumbling. And I would add, if you need to talk to somebody, reach out, call the church office, call uh, a friend that you need to, uh, or if you need to vent. Again, I, I would hate for someone to hear this and then listen or, or think, this is why I don't speak up. I'm not going to speak up because no one wants to hear what I'm going through. Actually, we're called, like Mary said, we're called to carry each other's burdens and do this together. And, and the church is messy at times. So, so we do need to reach out to one another. I think we just need to let go of the culture of complaining that is so prevalent. And Paul spoke to that in that Philippians 2 passage. Instead, mm-hmm. let's become more like Jesus and let's let go of the things that, that don't matter and keep our eyes fixed on him. As, and as Mary said, follow him. So, Mary, do you have any last thoughts or, or things you'd no, like to say? I, I think it was great today. I really appreciate it. And thank you, Jose, for the... Um, for the great message and the great ideas that came from it. Thank you. All right. Hey, thanks, everybody, for listening to the Conversations podcast. If you have any questions that you want us to answer on the podcast, you can email us, conversations at cypresscreekchurch.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast. Thanks for being here again, everybody. It was awesome. That's it for this version of the podcast. We will see you guys next time.